Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Konrad Olsson and I'm sitting here with my friend and colleague Fredrik Ekström. Fredrik, how are you? Fine, thank you, Konrad. We are going to have a very interesting conversation today. We're going to go through uh, our first report that was published a few weeks ago. Uh, this report is available uh, to be downloaded from our website. It's called The New Sustainable Consumer and Her Search for Truth. We're going to do a little bit of a an, an audio reading of sorts. Uh, you know, obviously this report is available for anyone to read, but I thought it would be interesting to do this podcast version of the report and talk a little bit about uh, your findings and uh, your thoughts uh, when 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 doing this report. And I and just before we dive into it, I'm just going to say a little bit of a thank you to the Helio co-working space that are kindly to hosting us in their in their podcast studio here in Stockholm. And uh, for anyone who listens who wants to know more about Scandinavian Mind, please uh, uh, sign up to our newsletter on our website, scandinaviamind.com. So, Frederick, the new sustainable consumer, uh, maybe we should start a little bit about why we decided to do this report. Mm, yes. I mean, um, no one have probably missed that is a roaring pandemic going on, mm. which is kind of like it's transforming everything we know, uh, how we consume, how we engage with our families and friends, how we work and how we live. So during this time, we also saw a lot of um, tendencies towards the consumer behavior attitudes changing towards sustainability. Right. So we wanted to dive in to look a little bit more into how this is, how it's transforming, but also get a bit of an idea of what we think will stick um, when we're going out to the next phase of the next normal after the pandemic. Mm. So we started to, um, instead of doing a lot of own quantitative consumer uh, surveys, we researched um, existing reports from a lot of the um, big institutions. A lot of them do reports now mm. or studies now. So we gathered a lot of studies that they have done uh, prior to COVID, during COVID, and then just brought in all this information and all these insights and picked out what we thought was interesting uh, to see, to get an understanding of uh, why and how the consumer do or do not incorporate sustainability issues into their consumption pattern. Right. And also to see what we think will stick when we're entering uh, the next phase. And we, we also yeah. decided to, to do a few interviews of our own, that's right. Yes, exactly. So after we done this like a desktop research, mm. we made um, a lot of conversations and expert interviews with the people, uh, a lot of them in Scandinavia, but some also in, in other countries mm. to verify the um, hypothesis that we that we gathered to see if like if we 
have a feeling that we're moving in this direction to see what the experts are saying so they can weigh in with uh, their approach because all everyone is approaching this in different ways so it was important to get like the qualitative uh, expert point of views to see um, if we were moving in the right direction with our thoughts as well. Right, right. When you have been uh, writing this and doing this uh, research of your own, who have you had in mind? Who do you think should should read this report? I think that the report would give most value to the brands that are that want to do something, but maybe today. Uh, hasn't really figured out their correct position in the market. Mm. And maybe they are fumbling a little bit about who is the consumer they're talking to, how are they acting, uh, and how do they position themselves um, towards that consumer. So it's, as the report says, it's about the, the new sustainable consumer. It's not a report that says... If you as a brand want to be a sustainable brand, this is how you build your supply right, chain. Right. This is rather like um, the consumer are acting in this way. And this is what you can learn from the consumer. So we expect the brands to do good. It's up to them to, to make it uh, make it happen. I, I guess also every brand has their own challenges in terms of uh, adapting and transforming their own business and t- moving towards a more sustainable uh, way of working, so to speak. But... Uh, to, yeah. to, we've started with, with the consumer and, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there in, in looking how how, uh, how the consumer actually thinks and feels. Definitely, it is. It's, so it's, just to state first, it, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not a toolbox to greenwashing. But <laughs> but Let's hope so, not. So, so it's, uh, um, it's for brands that do something and, and as you say, all brands also approach this in different ways. It could be that they have um, a circular mindset or they work with their uh, supply chain processes or with people and supporting societies. It's um, a lot of approaches. It, it could be um, right for the for the brands. They have to decide what they do. Mm. But this is a mapping of the consumer attitudes and triggers to see if they are doing something that is good. This is a guide for them to find, okay, so this kind of consumer think and act in this way. So they can find a way to position them better to create value for the consumer by telling them the good thing they are doing in the correct way. So, so let's let's dive into it. Uh, we're opening the report here with a quote from, from Lenin, of, of all people, saying... <laughs> There are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. I think uh, we can yeah. all we can yeah. all uh, uh, understand w- uh, where this is leading to. You know, this this was a, a transformative just spring and and all the rest of the year. So, how what has been the starting point for this? Uh, looking at this year, what are some of the the huge transformations that have happened that have affected the the consumers' thinking? I think that um, a lot of brands have talked about doing stuff Mm. for a long time. uh, And they know that we're moving in this direction. But a lot of brands has also still been living in the past where they see the huge, other huge companies just selling more products, building up the growth. They've been thinking that that could be a path for them to go. Mm. 
But now when we got into this pandemic and the transformation of the consumers and how we live, they finally realized that they need to find a new way of creating value for the consumer. And the value is shifting from price points toward more uh, values in the society, values for us as, as humans. Mm. Uh, so I would say that that's one of the greatest um, transformations for brands. So we can see it as, um, as the quote says, um, a lot of brands have been thinking about it, but all of a sudden when this is happening, it's both a way for them to finally executing it mm. and finally starting with it, both either from passion or from consumer demand. Mm. So we could see that all of a sudden, all the big brands, all the big corporations and companies, they are started, they rolled out their plans and started to talk about it. So, yeah. Is there a lesson to be learned here in terms of, uh, I mean, for the past few years, we've seen many brands talk about what they are planning to do and their mm. ambition and their intention and so forth. Uh, could, could you say that there's a lesson to be learned here that th that time is a little bit over? The brands have to actually show what they are doing in a concrete way? Definitely. It's um, We've been talking about the why for a long time, why sustainability is important, why we need to do this and... Uh, stating up examples about uh, pollution in the oceans, working places and, and everything like that. So we're moving from telling, communicating the why issues mm. and going into the how issues. And rather telling the consumer are more demanding now to say, okay, we understand it is a problem. We know this. We, we can research this as good as you are. But we want to see how are you going to fix the problem? Mm. How are you actually going to solve um, uh, the problems you are stating up happening? So it, it will be, it will further increase the pressure on the brands that been communicating that it is a problem to now start to communicate more how they are addressing the problem and how mm. they are tackling it in, building in the processes and actually doing something that creates value for the consumer and the society at large. I think let's look at some of the numbers. There, there are some interesting numbers here um, on, on page eight, uh, the great online migration that I think to me, they, they in a very clear way state the opportunities and, and challenges mm. and, and sort of dangers for, for some brands, I think. Yeah. Um, it says here that 75% that of, of uh, U.S. consumers have ventured off and tested new online stores and brands during the, the pandemic. I mean, that's, that's mm. like a, a huge minority that are, you know, on, on the prowl for, for, for new things. Um, mm. what, what does this mean for, for brands, do you think? I would say that we haven't seen um, a leap like this probably since the, the World Wars. Mm. It's a huge shift. If you see that, and, and we were looking in a lot of other research also, this is not only specific for U.S. We just highlighted the U.S. Yeah. number here. Yeah, it's from, from so, McKinsey has these numbers. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, three out of four consumers are trying new stores and brands mm. online, which is, 
just imagine that you have a small uh, grocery store in the neighborhood. And all of a sudden, three out of four of your consumers are going to another store. Right. It's uh, it's um, such a huge difference. Yeah. And, and what I think um, we can see happening is that when you're getting into the lockdown, you're getting into your pandemic mood, you start going online, you start searching for the products and the um, and the stuff that you usually buy and find in your stores. Mm. But then you went ring off with um, all the search engine <laughs> uh, algorithms and you start finding new products. And also a lot of the small producers uh, are getting better into uh, social marketing. So they are getting better to target people with the same kind of interests with the products they have. Mm. So it's a two-way path that the consumers are looking for new products. They're looking for the same products, but they finding it on, on new platforms, right. which means that they get new touch points with brands that or producers that also getting better to reach them. Mm. So all of a sudden they are getting into a way of finding information and evaluating products and engaging with, with their brands and stores and products in a new way. Mm. So the next number then that 60% of those uh, that tried new brands and stores, they are actually want, they are actually happy with what they found. So, so it, it's for the consumer point of view, it's a good thing because all of a sudden they're not stuck with the store that they had in the neighborhood. They could actually go out and find new stores, new suppliers, new brands that maybe have the same kind of value system that they have that stand for the same thing and that they can engage with and find products that they like. And they plan to stick with them after the crisis. Yeah, but it's, that's, um, this is not only good for the consumers. It's, it's a great opportunity for brands that want to seek new customers, yes. take, take new positions. And, and yeah. you know, obviously, we've seen a, 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 a huge uh, a transformation from, from the, uh, the fast fashion players, both uh, here in Sweden and in, in Britain. You see Topshop and H&M have, have huge challenges with these uh, shops. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm sure these numbers also play into that. You, you're looking for something new. You're not just going to the same old store anymore. Definitely. And it's, I mean, you can compare it to, um, it's kind of like when, when you back in the days went to the, went into an old record store and you go through all the records and you look at them and you see what you find. Right. And um, the consumer has been used to maybe going to the brick and mortar store going to see like, okay, what, what clothes do they have here now? What products do they have? They look at them, they touch and feel it. And now they have to transform that behavior into the entire the entire online platforms. Mm. So when brands are getting better to, um, to reach them, to target the consumers that goes with the same values, the same preferences, they can go in there and search and find products in the same kind of way, which means that they're getting a new, totally new behavior in how they find products and, and engage with them. Mm. Which is, of course, um, a super big opportunity for very good digital first brands right. that have tackled uh, um, this uh, in, in a way that they are building up the dig- digital agencies, in-house agencies the, with the digital presence and reaching the targets with, um, with a good call to action, mm. of course. And for brands that are lagging in that transformation... 
of course it will be a big challenge for them and right. probably it will be the same as we saw we've been seeing in all times i mean with the polaroid with the kodaks and 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 all of that this is going to be the big uh, transformation it's going to be a lot of brands that we've been used to see that we're not going to see mm. in in a couple of mm. years Let's let's hope our listeners are old enough to to remember what it was like to to visit a record store. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's yeah. to that point there are, there are some other highlights here that I think is interesting and and just it's it's staggering and baffling when you're talking about this great online leap. So there's there's one number here 43% of consumers who didn't purchase fashion before have started using online channels now. Okay, that's huge. And we see mm. it in the next graph on on, uh, on page nine where you see how online retail, let me see if I get this straight, maybe you can fill this mm-hmm. in, but but just the, the spike that happened during one quarter of 2020 mm. is is equivalent to, is it 10 years? or 10 years growth that yeah, happened in, in a couple of months in, it's, in of online penetration in in US. Yeah, market. I think anyone who has followed Jeff Bezos uh, worth yeah, uh, seeing yeah. it is practically you doubled. Can, you can you can look into uh, the Amazon uh, sales numbers for Black Friday from right. 2010 until 2020 mm. uh, and then you will see how it uh, how it's gone from mm. it. Uh, but I mean what what this states is that in the in the U.S. online penetration, the growth was um, equivalent of 10 years growth that happened in three months, mm. uh, which means that so many consumers, of course, they went online. They also got their, their uh, $600 paychecks, <laughs> so right. their lockdown money. So uh, they had to spend it online. Mm. Uh, so that's also increased uh, the penetration, of course. But when we look in at the European numbers, you can see that in the fashion industry, it was the equivalent of six years growth that happened in the first two quarters in 2020, mm. which means that in in two quarters of the year, we had six years, equivalent of six years growth of online penetration mm. in the European fashion market. Um, so we see a lot of the consumers are getting into finding products and information online and getting used to it. And they're not gonna just walk back from this. Mm-hmm. It's a behavior, it's a transformation for them. It's not a trend that is like, we try this and then no, internet was no good, I'm going back to the store. They will find a new way to interact with the store and the products online. Mm-hmm. But when they find the producers and the stores online and they try with them, interact with them and engage with them and learn how they work, it's easier for them to stick with it. Well, I think there's a great lesson to learn here that that we're talking about behavior that that's, won't be backtracked. It won't be go back to. It's going to be a new normal, as you say. It's not going to be the old normal. There was an article in in the in the Swedish uh, industry media with with some some retailers uh, here in here in Stockholm, Sweden, expecting more support from from the industry. And even though I have I have great empathy for them, uh, but there was a part of me that that felt like these are sort of high street uh, uh, shops uh, that the, this consumer behavior might not come back. Mm. 
they're expecting something to go back to normal. And I'm thinking sort of these high street uh, shops in the middle of city centers. Mm. And this, I think this goes for all around the world. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's yet to be known how, how this is going to land, right? Definitely. And it's, uh, I mean, the great online migration will mean that a lot of uh, the consumers won't go back. Uh, mm. And we can't talk about going back to a normal, to, to the old normal. It will be a huge transformation in how we interact with stores uh, after the pandemic. And I, I also I had a failed same, same feeling as you have. It's the, I have great compassion with them and feel that it's, um, it's a lot of businesses that are struggling right mm. now. Mm. And I also hope that a lot of them will find a way to future-proof their business right. and find a way to not getting stuck to, as um, another article in Retailomania that uh, are talking about retail zombies. Mm. And it's, I just hope that they find a way to not st- get stuck there and future-proof their business in a way to interact with the consumer in this new uh, behavior of them. Mm. Because um, it's a two. I'm, I have very mixed feelings with, yeah, with it. I think because, we all do, you know. Because in 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 one way, I don't want stores to be retail zombies, mm. and uh, and on the other hand, I also want small towns to have a, a lively city center. Right. So right. so um, the small uh, communities also depend on this brick and mortar store. Mm. So it's it's important to have that as a community and a culture around around the, the towns. But they also need to find ways to not get stuck in the zombie mode because especially people in smaller towns also increase their online behavior and finding uh, stores not only now for the bigger cities in the same nation, right. they also find it from all over the world. I think we're, we're touching on a, 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 a subject that perhaps requires its own report in the future, yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen to brick and mortar and city centers and so forth. So let's let's get back to the consumer and, and talking about... Um, a purpose. Uh, this, you know, purpose has been a buzzword for many years, but I think it has has great merit. And and we're actually talking about this here on page ten in, in our read through of, <laughs> of this uh, report. You talk about community versus commerce. What do you mean by that? Um, it's um, everywhere in, in all the reports we've been reading. Mm. Uh, the main topic that gets uh, lifted. It's brands with a purpose will build back better uh, after the crisis. Mm. If you invest in it, if you um, make it shine through with your enthusiasm and passion to the consumer, you will be uh, stronger. Mm. And the consumer don't care about commerce. The consumer don't want to hear your growth numbers. Mm. Um, They feel that if you sell this amount of shoes, if you sell this amount of jackets, it doesn't feel right in the stomach. Mm. They want, they rather uh, get attracted by a community to meet other people that have the same value system, the same um, 
uh, ideas of uh, right and wrong, if they can be attached to that community, the product itself could be better or less better mm. <laughs> because it stands for, for a value. It has a purpose to fill. It could have a function, could fit in the role in society in some kind of way. So, um, But it's, of course, hard for brands to value community overcomers. You need to find uh, a golden mix. So to find products and a business that fulfill that has a clear purpose, that has a clear value for the consumer so they can engage with commerce in your community. Well, and this goes back to what we talked about before in, in that we expect brands to actually do things and to have mm. these values of, of uh, you know, environmentally friendly, sustainable and ethical. It has to be infused in the whole operation to speak so to speak so mm. it's you can't just apply this veneer of of uh, sustainable you know slogans or, or whatever no. consumers expect you to actually do good right and that's mm. how I'm, what I'm, my point is i think that's the only way to build the community over time because that's how you get true sort of credibility with, with the with the consumer yes you have to be honest uh, and what we see if we go back um, almost to the beginning of the report where we talk about the troubled world. Right. The more disinformation, the more uh, distrust we get for uh, institutions in society. When we have... I can view my own political... Uh, <laughs> share my own political views, but I'm, um, I'm looking forward to January 20. Mm. Uh, when the inauguration of a new president in the U.S. hopefully will, will be. Mm. Because when you have strong players on the global political agenda spreading disinformation and distrust for, for institutions, the consumer also starts to feel disconnected to the society, to the institutions, to the governments. And what's happened then is that they are looking for brands that fill the void for them mm. because they want someone to be the guiding star. If it would be the president of, of the United States or the CEO of Patagonia, mm. it doesn't matter for them. It just depends on who will be there guiding them, telling them what's going on, telling them what is the correct um, uh, path forward. So we're, look, we're looking for leadership in, in yes. all parts of society in a way. Definitely. And what goes back to the political parties is that Political parties with a strong uh, ideology has always been the strongest party. So mm. uh, a brand with a strong ideology or in this case a strong, strong purpose that you can show for the consumers will be more attractive for the consumers to, uh, to engage with. It's mm. the same way as you're building your own loyal voting base, you're building your own loyal uh, brand base in, in the same kind of way. So that's where how the purpose is now um, being stronger. But what's also important is that purpose is not the fifth P in your marketing mix. <laughs> it's not. What do you mean by that? I mean, you usually talk about product, price, placements, promotion. You can't just add purpose mm. to, to your marketing mix. It's, it has to be an honest um, purpose that you live and breathe mm. and shine through with enthusiasm and passion with 
products, employees, and and how and how you live and breathe. Mm. So there are, there are some numbers that that support this, um, which I think is interesting, and, and these are high numbers. Um, so, for instance, uh, it, 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 we're, we're about in the same bracket here. Two-thirds think that brands that invest in long-term, sustainable and fair solutions will build, build back better after the crisis. And uh, 70% of, of UK and German consumers stick with a brand they trust. Uh, mm. I think th- these are important lessons to, to learn here for, for any brand. Yes, yeah, so what the numbers say here, and this is... St- once again, selected numbers. Right. Uh, well, there's all over the research we see now. This is what they getting highlighted. Mm. But if you take this, you see that yeah, 67 percent um, think that brands that invest in 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 longer term sustainable and fair solutions will build back better after the crisis. It means that if the consumers see that you do good, if you invest in this new this transformation towards um, the next normal. Mm. They believe that you will build back better after the crisis as a brand. And if you look at another and uh, another number, if you see that 57% that state that they already made changes in their own lifestyle. Mm. So um, six out of 10 consumers have already started to change and seven out of 10 consumers believe that brands that join them in this change will build back better after the crisis, which means that they will support these brands. And the 70%, I mean, we can go back to the numbers also that 75% uh, changed brands or uh, experienced new stores and brands yeah, online. Yeah, it's about, the numbers are about in the same bracket. That's what I think, find so yeah. interesting. Yes, so it's the same kind of... But um, if we're then wondering what can... If you have this great online migration, mm. what is the one factor that keeps the consumers to stay with you instead of migrating off to, to other brands? And it's um, stated on that it needs to be a brand that they trust. Mm. And they want you to act with a the community. They want you to have a clear purpose. They want you to invest in, in long-term sustainable and ethical choices. And if they feel that you are honest about this and you are investing in this and this is what you stand for, they trust you and they stay with you. Mm. So it's um, both a really great opportunity for the brands that have already started this transformation to communicate it and, and, and build this trust with the, with the consumer base. Mm. But it's also a great indication for brands that uh, maybe still are fumbling <laughs> and wondering what they uh, should do to actually start doing something and start um, engaging with the consumers about this because resting in your own old loyalty base it won't uh, it won't be a very secure strategy for the future right right as we've seen Let's let's talk a little bit about the the generational aspect here, and and you, you we have we have here uh, uh, on on page twelve about the the Gen Z, and we we cleverly call it the Gen Z sustainability. Uh, it's, it's, it <laughs> looks sustainability. It's hard to say in audio, but it <laughs> yeah. looks good on paper. Gen yeah. sustainability. Yeah. Um, so I let's mean, go into this. I mean, the strongest, the absolutely strongest. Um, 
we can see is with the younger generation uh, moving towards this. Mm. Uh, on the other on the other page, you can see that nine out of ten Gen Z consumer states that they uh, believe brands should detail their beliefs on environmental and social issues. Right, which means it's it's high numbers. Um, so what we're seeing is also the the number gets higher the lower you get in in age. Uh, yes, and it's also something that I mean, with all shifts in generations we all we when uh, for all of us have been working with marketing and consumer behaviors for for a while mm. <laughs> we've seen this happen for for a couple of times with generational shifts mm. and we tend to in equal parts overestimate and underestimate what's going to happen when the next generation is coming into uh, the markets where and become a strong consumer force. Right. But the Gen Cs, they will be the strongest consumer force in, in around 2030. Mm. And the, what happened with the millennials, what, what we saw with them is the behavior around sustainability, their attitudes uh, towards it and the preferences towards it has only been accelerated uh, with, the, with the Gen Cs. Mm. Usually you could see um, a behavior getting stuck with one generation and you're either getting a backlash with the next generation or it kind of fades out or goes a little right. bit in, in waves with it. Kind of like a pendulum. It swings back and forth, right? Exactly. But this behavior around sustainability and environmental issues and mm. social issues has only been accelerated uh, with the next generation. Well, I just uh, as a little you know observation these we're talking also about things that these are not trends these are not things that, that just flip back and forth these are actual real issues that concern the the planet that we're we're you know we're living on right yes so you know I, I'm sure that's a huge factor here uh, in terms of the attitudes yes so it's um, great to point that out it's not a trend we see it's gonna mm be happening in your uh, once again marketing or communication strategy for it's two not, or three years it's not the fifth p no uh, it's a great lesson it's a it's a huge transformation um, and the next generation that comes in uh, will only bring this up to be stronger mm. but what it also brings out is that all generations have different ways of uh, approaching uh, change or approaching issues. So when the Gen Cs are coming into the market, it's uh, a really digital native um, generation. They will have strong new ways of interacting with brands mm. and how they think sustainability issues should be communicated and what brands should stand for. And I think one of the absolutely best quotes in the report is that um, there was from Cassandra Napoli from VGSN that says, Gen Z's wants to see brands tap into activism, absurdity and aesthetics <laughs> all in one place. I, I think, yeah. So it, it doesn't matter for them. It's not that it's it's you used to see in, in back in the days mm. that, that sustainability and this was kind of like a, a hippie era. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, flower power, uh, Woodstock, uh, 
um, going into yoga, going into all this kind of uh, um, halo uh, feelings around it. Mm. But for Gen Z, it, this is not what, what it stands for them. This is something that is just incorporated into their beliefs, yeah. which means that it can have a whole new kind of feeling around it, a whole new kind of communication around it. And they just expect this to be something that is happening. Well, it goes back to what we talked about leadership, right? You expect brands to actually take position, uh, go forward, lean into issues rather than to sort of, I guess, uh, rather than react, they have to act. So so rather than to sort of see what's happening in the world, be a player, be part of change, right? Yes, shape, shape the future you want to see. Mm, mm. So if brands... I mean, a lot of brands, it's not to, to say that it's not good when, when brands is like, oh, it's um, we can do uh, a beach cleanup day. Mm. Uh, it would be a good uh, photo up for the local newspaper. We can engage with local uh, uh, activists. Mm. We can build some um, um, enthusiasm in the organization. It's a good thing. It's all these small steps. It's... it's uh, moving brands towards um, a better thinking. But I think for the future, as you said, in rather than being reactive, they have to be proactive and show their ideology and their reason for being. Like, why are you here and asking for my money? Mm. It's not, I don't care if you sell me a blue T-shirt because a lot of players can make a blue T-shirt. You need to tell me why I should choose your blue T-shirt. Right, right. There are two great, just uh, two great examples we, we've we've lifted here, and one is uh, probably many people see seen this this picture of of the uh, uh, the tag on the Patagonia. I guess it's a it's a pair of of uh, pants, and on the back side of the tag it says "Vote the assholes out." It became a huge social media. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, rocket so to speak mm. and and then also our, our our native swedes sneakers and stuff that yet used was it like a whole wall in 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 downtown new york uh in meatpacking where they mm. had the the vote the vote campaign uh encouraging people to to act yes it's uh, i mean for both of these brands it's um it's the same message mm. to to get people to vote um and it's totally different kind of brands doing it, mm. which means that, I mean, when Patagonia does it, it's easy for their, their loyal uh, consumer base to understand this is what they stand for. It goes hand in hand with, with all the other communications that they do. Right. So they chose to do vote the assholes out. Um, not all brands could probably put this as a label on, on their uh, <laughs> jeans selling it. No. Um, and then sneakers and stuff, they had their, their another approach. I mean, they they are a, a street brand coming from street music, hip-hop culture. Mm. Uh, so they engage with Iraq, which is a, a graffiti artist. And they actually had... Um, before this, they are ask, they were asking their, their uh, consumer base in social media, what will they do with this big mural... Uh, in um, uh, in meatpacking district, mm. and they got in this all these different kind of insights and and uh, suggestions what they should do, ended up with this vote campaign. Um, 
which is, I think, strong tendencies going on with a lot of more brands that they are tapping into more, taking a more active role right. in their activist behavior of their consumers. Did, did you see any, just as a side note or, or, or like an observation, did you see any, was there any backlash for them uh, in doing this? And, and I know that when uh, High Snobiety has done a lot of reports on the Black Lives Matter movement and, and they have had huge backlash for, for some of their uh, sort of reader base, uh, you know, saying, I can't wait until you get back to just reporting about sneakers, you know, stay on message, don't don't go into these, these messages. Mm. Uh, just for your, what's your gut feeling there in terms of balancing, because you're gonna piss some people off, I guess, when 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 sticking your, your neck out. And um, um, I think it's good to piss people off. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, um, and sometimes I mean your uh, your loyalty, or my your reader base or consumer base, it needs maybe to be shaken up a little bit mm. sometimes. And in the long run, it's better for you to stand for something. It could be for Eisenbiety to say that, okay, we only stand for sneakers. Mm. But for the sneaker culture to be someone that stands for uh, driving the sneaker culture and don't back Black Lives Matter movement, that would be weird, I think, because the two cultures and they stand for the same thing. It Mm. comes from the same roots. And I think that's also what was so strong with the sneakers and stuff campaign. It's something that, that's why they engage with a local uh, graffiti artist that comes from the same uh, kind of culture that they do. They stand for the same kind of thing. They want the audience to uh, to vote. It's mm. a clear message. Maybe in the Black Lives Matters, um, a lot of things that was going on with, with protests at the right. time. So it could be that people reached out and said uh, that they had experienced protests in in their local neighborhoods or something. Mm. Yeah, well, I think just as another observation uh, uh, to that note, um, there are good and bad ways of doing this. And uh, there, mm. there's there's another example. I think in the same neighborhood in 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 New York, can't remember the brand, huge brand. Uh, there was a huge backlash because they reached out to um, uh, a, a local artist in the same way, asked them to, can't you just uh, draw an, uh, an artwork on our boarded up storefront? Because we boarded up the storefront because we were afraid of the protests. Uh, mm. uh, and please do this uh, from this date to this date, because then we're going to oh. open up for business again. And it, it was just such, a, that was a huge backlash. And it showed that if you're not in it uh, in an honest way. So they were just, let's, it, 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 it seemed like, let's just, let's just do something and create some positive thing while we're not mm. selling whatever it is we're selling. That's uh, a great example uh, of someone that thinks that you can add purpose to your, it as mm. your fifth P. Mm. You, you see it as, as a way to just, we have a campaign window. We have a couple of weeks. There's going to be riots here. There's going to be a lot of people passing by. Let's take the momentum, use uh, a local artist that taps into this culture mm. and try to get them to feel that we're on their, their side. Mm. And then we bring it down and then we can sell more products. Yeah. 
And that's um, the exactly wrong way to do it. Mm. Uh, and what both Patagonia and, and sneakers and stuff, and actually what I think the high snobiety also did, um, was good because they attracted it or, or um, took it in a way that they stand for, in a way that goes back to the roads, goes back to what they, what they stand for. Mm. And, and I could say that both... I mean, both the founders of Sneakers and Stuff and High Snobiety, they're both middle-aged white guys. So it could be a backlash uh, uh, building it, but they are both born from the culture. Right. And, and um, they stand for a good thing. I think it's good to stand up. Yeah, we'll see what happens long-term there. So let's go into the, the crescendo of, of the report. We have here the, the five stages of sustainability adaptation. And I think... Uh, this is where it gets really interesting and, and, and uh, helpful for, for brands. And I encourage anyone to, to download the report on pages 16 and 17. We've put up this, this uh, I guess, graph of sorts. It's, it's uh, perhaps uh, hard to describe in audio. We'll tr- we try to do it, but it's easy to find on our website uh, as well. So we have our five stages. And, and this is similar to um, the, the law of diffusion of innovation where you see sort of the early adopters, the, the laggards and so forth. So we've sort of translated it here to uh, sustainability adaptation. Should, should, please give an overview here. What, what are we looking at? It's correct. It's, um, the inspiration comes uh, from, from that curve. But uh, what's the difference here is that maybe you as a consumer doesn't start as a dedicated pioneer and then moving into... Mm. So um, we created this curve out of the insights and the conversations um, and the beliefs that we have when we conducted the research. It shows five different segments or five different behavioral patterns, so to say, Mm. in the consumer. It doesn't mean that the further left you are as uh, if you look at the report, you see uh, to uh, the left corner, the dedicated pioneers. Right. It doesn't mean that you are a much better consumer if you are a dedicated pioneer than if you are, say, an eco-swinger. But you have different values and different behaviors. So it starts with the dedicated pioneers to the left. It's a group that is enthusiastic about change. They feel that um, with their knowledge about what's going on, they feel a possibility to actually transform the world. If we just take measurable actions, Mm. we can transform this. They are enthusiastic because they can see the light of the tunnel, it's possible. Mm. Uh, The next group that follows the dedicated pioneers was um, what we call the doers they are more afraid and worried. The world is going uh, in, the, in the wrong way. Right. So they are afraid and worried and feel that they want to see results now because they can't see the solution out of this problem. Mm. They feel that the more we consume, the more we do this, the more the, the world is spinning faster and faster in the wrong way. So they want measurable actions from the brands um, with clear results being communicated and it uh, should be happening now mm, for them. Mm. The next group is what we call eco-swingers. 
is maybe the largest group because they one day they buy an um, uh, organic T-shirt, the next day they buying a, <laughs> a really I won't mention any brands, but a, <laughs> a, a cheap conventional, maybe not so organic T-shirt. Yeah. So they swing back and forth, and they getting they get attracted by the sustainability storytelling. Mm. So they love uh, um, communicative-driven sustainability projects like leftover projects, ocean waste cleanup projects, and they love to tap into uh, the stories and they um, feel that sustainability is the real deal, but maybe that their actions they're taking are ending up somehow in a black hole of collective actions. And they don't know if they, the actions they do are making any good or any bad in the long run. So they tap into the stories, they curate it and retell it to the peers, maybe as their own uh, knowledge <laughs> uh, and want to be shown as they are in the know mm. uh, in regard of storytelling. Spectators are an interesting group because spectators are not convinced today that this is um, a real problem that they can do real uh, actions in. Mm. So they kind of look at it from the side. And they, if they're getting approached by a brand with a convenient solution that taps into their behavioral pattern as it is today, they can jump on board. Uh, they're not actively against it, but they're not actively seeking into buying and, and finding more sustainable products. So they're spectating it from the side. And if there's convenient solution, they join. Otherwise, they stay uh, uh, as a spectator. Mm. The sleepers are uh, a group that is getting smaller now uh, uh, during the crisis. More and more consumers are going from the sleeping sleeper mode, the zombie mode, and actually taking um, uh, interest in, in the change. We call this the Trumps. <laughs> they could be actively non-motivated and seeking um, products uh, that are... They, they just don't believe it. There's so much information uh, going on, um, disinformation around this topic. So they, they feel that it's not for them. They're not, they're not seeking it. But no. if they get um, the right information slowly, they probably can go from the sleeping zombie mood and start to spectate it from the side and then maybe swing in to be a doer. Mm. So you had the, the, the pioneers, the doers, the swingers, the spectators, the sleepers. And, and we, we, in the graph, we also have shown sort of what we call the green shift in terms of where is the market share. And uh, I guess just uh, simplistically, it goes from being uh, m uh, predominantly in the spectator group, moving into the swinger and the doer group during this pandemic. Am I right? Yes, so we could see in the graph on page sixteen seventeen the red the red curve is pre covid mm. uh, where you have a huge group spectating it from from the side, and this is also goes into what we talked earlier. you have this kind of 
tsunami wave uh, shifting uh, towards the green curve. Mm. So a lot of the consumers now go from being spectating this, knowing that something is going on, but not really knowing how to act with it. And they're seeking out a convenient solution and 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 um, and not really knowing how to address the issues. Mm. We see the shift going to more and more consumers attracting into the swinging part, buying one uh, one project and uh, getting attracted to it, start posting about it, talking about it. Um, engaging with it, learning how it works and getting into the stories and, and, and the products. And then as you're getting more uh, enlightened about the issues, you're also starting to getting more afraid and worried. Then you see a large increase in the doer's part that feels that we need to see the results now. Yeah. We need to see brands tap into this and take actions and be more activist um, in these issues. And we could also see that the dedicated pioneers is growing because more and more consumers are either uh, seeking to buy products that last longer, that is like uh, a boot that will they feel that I buy this boot, it will last for 10 to 15 years. Mm. I, I know this. It's an anti-fast fashion mm. uh, moment in here. But it's also a growing uh, segment because there's also this huge tech innovation parts. So the dedicated pioneers is also um, the fashion consumers of the Teslas, the, the consumers that bought Tesla before Tesla even had a car. Mm. So they like to buy into this uh, 3D knittings, the, the new technology, technical innovations before it actually is any real products in it. So it's both a, a sustained, uh, slow fashion long-lasting product, uh, dedicated pioneers, and super innovative, tech-driven, uh, dedicated pioneers. Mm. And is it fair to say that any given consumer can be on different parts of the scale, depending on what they're buying, which, which product category, and so forth? Definitely. And it could be that uh, me, for myself, is, is moving in, in a lot of these segments. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe when I buy... Uh, without being too explicit, I don't mm. buy underwear. Maybe mm. I don't have the same um, engagement in exactly what mm. I buy as when I buy uh, an expensive outerwear jacket. Mm. Mm. When I buy my jacket, I feel that it's um, it's a behavior for me that goes that is more in engagement driven. Mm. I want to see what how it's been made, how long it's gonna last. I look at it much more. But then, to be honest, when I buy less engaging products, I also have a less engaging um, information. Um, about how, how sustainable it is. I guess it's, a, it's so, both a challenge and an opportunity for brands that don't have this sort of engaging layer to, to perhaps even their category uh, as a whole. Yes, and, um, I, and, then, and what, what I think is important with this curve is that it doesn't mean that you as a brand has to be um, 
catering to like the if I want to be truly sustainable, I had to cater to the dedicated pioneers. Mm. That's not what it is. It's it's about for the brands that do good in some way to find um, a way for them to approach one kind of consumer, mm. just to get an idea of that. All the consumers are approaching sustainability in different ways, in different stages, with different products um, that goes into to themselves. And all brands also have different approaches to sustainability. Some goes into the production chains, some go into supporting um, different uh, societies, some go into uh, supply chains, uh, future fabrics. It's just a helping tool for brands to realize that we are doing this and this is actually good and we see that some pro, uh, some consumers like this in this stage so let's find our position with this kind of product for this kind of uh, consumer that have this kind of values uh, in this stage so mm. it could be a helping tool to be um, in the product department, if you're like, okay, is this for the dedicated pioneers or is this product catering for the doers? If it's pro- catering for the doers, maybe we should tell the marketing department to say, uh, you have to highlight the results what this product is doing. Or if you're going into the eco swingers, we know that it's a good product, but maybe it's not the most sustainable product, but it's a way for the consumer to engage with our brand and learn more about our doer products and the dedicated products as well. So let's see this as a swinging product and engage with them in a storytelling way. Mm. And then we can get them attracted with our doer products and tell them the results and then buying our boots that last for 15 years. Mm. So it's a way to... Engage with the with the consumer in different stages with different products mm. with different kind of communication. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up soon. We said we're gonna go on for for about forty forty five minutes. We're 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 running up on one hour. I feel like we can, <laughs> we can as we usually do. Yeah, we can talk forever <laughs> about this stuff. But I'm curious from a from a personal perspective in doing this research and writing this report. Uh, what are some of the things that has perhaps surprised you or, or opened your eyes? I mean, you've been in this uh, uh, industry for a while working with these issues. So, so many of these things are, are stuff that you are, are, are familiar with. Uh, but what, is, have, what are some revelations, if at all? The greatest joy, <laughs> or, or to say... Uh, with it, I mean, um, what touched me the most is that, as you say, I've been working with this for for quite some time, both mm. on agency side and on on brand side. Mm. And then you you have your beliefs and and you're working with that. And then when um, you start, uh, you when you find your time to sit down and read all these reports to find the quantitative statistics proofing the transformation that is happening and to see that it's getting stronger and stronger uh, the younger you go with the consumer, Mm. to see that the change is happening faster and stronger with the next generation to come, which is super happy to see and also... um, touch me a lot because with the younger generation when you look at it when you I mean for me uh, reaching 
going over the 40s, <laughs> uh, you can watch younger generations and say like, okay, so it's TikTok, it's Supreme launches, it's, mm. uh, uh, okay, is, is that the direction it's going to be with the next generation? Will they care about these issues that, that's been brought up? Is it only something that is happening in media? Is this something But Now when you look at the numbers and see all the consumer reports and see that all the uh, Gen Z consumers around the world, doesn't matter in, in, uh, in what parts of the world, it's driving this change and this transformation. I think that's the strongest... Um, um, numbers in this report mm. for me personally. Wonderful. I, I, you know, I thank you so much, Frederick, for 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 doing this together with us and and for for putting in the hard work of publishing this. Uh, this is a milestone for us to be able to do this type of report, and and we will uh, continue this work as as uh, as time goes on. Uh, again, anyone can uh, download this report. Uh, all we ask for you is to to give give us your email address and sign up to our, our newsletter uh, on scandinavianmind.com. Um, uh, this report was also the foundation of a panel talk at our transformation conference and the, the subsequent episode here on the Scanning in Mind podcast will be uh, that panel talk. So the conversation goes on, right, Fredrik? Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.